Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than up-and-coming Lancashire wicketkeeper batter, George Lavelle. So George, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county cricket. I have to ask, mate, how has your day been so far? Uh, it's been good, thank you. Yeah, uh, a little bit hectic, but uh, no, just getting ready for Christmas now, so can't complain. You, you say the word hectic, George, just for the sake of the listeners. Yeah. Give, give a little bit of context there. Why has it been hectic? Well, uh, we've had the start time rearranged about five times, haven't we? So uh, I think that was my fault. So, um, yeah, me and the physio have been trying to sort something out and it kept getting changed, but we're here now, we're sorted. <laughs> Exactly. We are here. That's the main thing. And yeah, again, just thanks for coming on tonight. It's been a long time coming, this episode. Yeah. It really has. I mean, I know you've followed the, the Twitter account for a while, so my apologies as well. Should have got you on earlier on, on in the season, but making up for lost time here on the podcast tonight. And yeah, to be honest, I think it's going to be an absolute cracker, to say the least. And for those who aren't quite familiar with how the Counter Cricket podcast works, essentially, I'm going to be talking to George all about his cricketing journey. So we'll probably start with the early days, then a large chunk of the podcast will centre around the mighty Lancashire County Cricket Club, and then we shall end today's discussion with a look to the future. But George, before we get into all of that good stuff then, we jump the proverbial gun. I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of your cricketing journey, if I may. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this spectacular game? Um... First memory of cricket was probably 2005 Ashes. I seem to have that memory of a KP's 100. That seems to be probably down at my granddad's watching that in his front room. So um, my granddad was always really big into his cricket. He's always been a follower of it. And um, it was probably through him I really got into it. Sort of me, him and my cousin would play in the back garden. So I'd say that's probably where I first got into cricket. Well, it's a lovely route into the game. I always love that family link. And you mentioned your granddad. What, what What's the name of your granddad, if you don't mind me asking? Tom. Tom. Yeah. Shout out to Tom, then. Obviously, <laughs> has, has sparked a, a love of cricket in yourself, George. And you mentioned the 2005 Ashes. I'm so, so tempted, listeners, to rebrand this podcast in 2023 to the 2005 Ashes podcast because it comes <laughs> up pretty much every single episode, an iconic series one which has had a massively profound impact on the county circuit today, quite clearly, as we're talking about it yet again. George, this is going to be a pretty tough question. I know you mentioned KP Century. I'm guessing that was the one at the Oval, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But if you could go back in time and relive just one day, one day of crickets from that iconic Test Series, which day would you choose and why? I think it's got to be that last day at Edgebaston, hasn't it? I, I don't think Tests probably get much better than that or not that I can remember anyway from back then so yeah it's got to be that one I think yeah to be honest I'm not going to disagree <laughs> uh, surprisingly seeing as that was at my home ground and <laughs> it was the closest ever test match between England and Australia a two-run victory for England and George asked this all the time on the podcast and the the answers differ depending on on your country of birth if you're an Aussie <laughs> you might answer this question slightly differently but did Michael Kasperwich glove that ball, yes or no? Definitely. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> 100%. I, I, I could not agree anymore. Glove. Yeah, yeah. no no mistakes. No mistakes, no controversy. Definitely no room for, <laughs> for appeal there from the Australians whatsoever. He definitely gloved it and yeah. <laughs> England ultimately winning that test and, more importantly, the series. And talking of that series, so many icons of the game battling it out over the course of that summer. We could list them and talk about them all night long, to be honest, George. So I just wanted to ask this, really. In terms of those formative years, who in the world of cricket, either at the domestic level, here in, in the county circuit, or indeed on the international level, did you almost aspire to be? Did you have any role models, any icons, any influences, per se, in those most formative of cricketing years? Uh, I think probably off the back of that, actually, seriously, like, probably a lot of people my age are maybe 10, 15 years old. I think Freddie Flintoff was probably everyone's original hero. I'm sure you get that 
all the time on the podcast, but he was obviously being from Lancashire as well. But uh, I think everyone, everyone wanted to be Freddie Flintoff, didn't they? When they're growing up, I can remember having a woodworm bat because Freddie Flintoff had one, and yeah, I think he was probably the original. And then um, growing up, probably they had a England had a great Test team, sort of when I was probably about eight to about thirteen or fourteen. And then you had Ian Bell, Matt Pryor, just people, people I love watching growing up. George, I think you and I are, are going to get on, to be honest, with these choices. <laughs> First and foremost, Freddie Flintoff, obviously a Lancashire legend, mm-hmm. and that woodworm bat that he had is just iconic. I, I know a lot of people yeah. that I've spoken to have had that bat, and it is just an iconic look. And then a certain Ian Bell from my county of Warwickshire. <laughs> does not get any better than that and I have to ask this George in your opinion because I think you know my answer but did Ian Bell have the greatest cover drive in the history of the game yes or no yes no no doubt I'm not sure if the mic's going to pick that up but <laughs> I'm applauding <laughs> great shouts couldn't agree more Ian Bell what a legend I'll do anything to watch him play cricket again I really would, whether that was for Warwickshire or England. There was just that touch of class and grace, panache, elegance, flair. One of the most aesthetically pleasing players (laughs) in the history of the game. I'd do anything to watch him play again. And George, this is going to be such a tough question. But you mentioned those three names. We'll include Matt Pryor's name in the conversation as well. But if you could have, I don't know, a podcast or a net session with one of those players, Freddie Flintoff, Matt Pryor, or the great Ian Bell, who would you choose and why? A great question. I think to talk actual cricket, and obviously being a keeper, I've got to pick Pryor. Because obviously he's a great batter himself. So uh, just to talk keeping and batting, I think I've got to go with Matt Pryor. Great shouts, great keeper, excellent gloveman as well. And to be honest, George, you've set me up quite perfectly <laughs> for our next segment of the podcast because you are, of course, a wicket keeper. And I love getting keepers on the podcast. First and foremost, they're usually a bit more chatty. As is just part and parcel of the job. You're behind the stumps all day. You need to find some conversation somewhere. But in addition to that, I find the art form itself tremendously interesting. It's a fascinating role to play in the game of cricket. So in terms of your wicketkeeping journey, first and foremost, where did that begin? Why did George Lavelle choose to become a wicketkeeper as opposed to a specialist bat or a spinner or a seam bowler? Uh, it's a bit of a strange story, actually. I think, I don't know what the weather would have been like in 2010 winter around you, but um, up around Liverpool, we had really bad snow. And uh, Ormskirk, my local club, were in for um, just an indoor tournament down down the road. And the usual wicketkeeper couldn't make it, it was snowed in. So uh, there was, we were all there and we were a keeper short. And then the coach just asked, does anyone want to have a go? I just stuck my hand up and I thought thought that'd be a good laugh. And um, yeah, I got picked up for the uh, district from there as a wicketkeeper and never looked back, really. That's that's staggering, isn't it? When you yeah. look back on that, if that keeper would have been snowed in, you may never have become a wicketkeeper. You may never have had that chance. Life could have worked out yeah. completely differently. That's quite, quite mad to think about, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny how it all works out just there. Uh, I suppose a little bit of fate almost, isn't it? Just leads you down a different path. Yeah, it does indeed. Yeah, that's mental though. That really is crazy. So that was completely by chance. I mean, usually we hear it's a case of, you know, you're in the backyard or in the garden, you do it with friends and family, maybe down the local club, but yours really was down to, as you said, fate. So that's quite yeah. incredible. And in terms of wicket keeping itself then, George, I always like asking this question to keepers, but <laughs> what is your favourite aspect of wicket keeping, what keeps you coming back time and time again, year after year? What makes it such an appealing position to you as a cricketer? Um, I think if you talk with a lot of keepers, they'll talk about the perfect catch. So, like that feeling when it just goes in absolutely perfectly. Like, keep like we're probably a bit different as a breed of cricketers, so uh, we do have our ec- eccentricities. So, yeah, just sort of chasing that perfect catch just uh the feeling of like really trying to perfect your art i suppose at the end of the day i love that answer and you're certainly right wicket keepers just as goalkeepers are in football i was a goalkeeper 
in football certainly are a different breed. <laughs> they, they really are, as I know from experience here on the podcast. You think back to stories of Tiger Smith. This is over 100 years ago. He used to put meat inside of his gloves as extra packing. <laughs> and it, it used to stink. And I think Les Ames also did it in the in the Bodyline series, if I'm not mistaken, in 1932-33. In then you had Jack Russell, who would yeah. put opposition players off by not brushing his teeth. He'd wear that hat, wear the tatty gloves. Wicket keepers really are a different breed, but that's why I love talking to them, because it is a fascinating position. And in terms of the attributes, the characteristics, the traits, I suppose, needed by young wicket keepers, George, what do you say are the biggest attributes that you need in order to almost succeed as a as a modern wicket keeper? Um, I think nowadays it's probably like you're an all-rounder role almost. I think your batting's almost got to be as good as your wicket keeping, which... It's uh, there'll be a lot of specialist keepers out there who think differently, but I do think it's another string to your bow, isn't it? I think you need to work just as hard your batting as you're keeping. But in terms of keeping itself, I think just the concentration levels. Like you could, if you're at fine leg, you know you're going to get a ball once every half an hour or something. Keep it. You're in the ball every game. Uh, you're in the game every ball even. It's just, I think that's what I enjoy about it so much. I, I get a little bit bored if I'm I'm not in the game. So it uh, just keeps you alert, keeps you switched on for the whole time. It's funny you mention that. Exact same reason given to me by Tom Cullen of <laughs> Morgan. You have to be in the game. A lot of people do find those kind of fielding positions, in particular fine leg. And mm-hmm. I know that having done that position, it can get very boring. I'd rather be at mid-on or mid-off so you're actually in the game. But as a keeper, as you rightfully says, you are in that game every single ball. For you, you've got to be switched on every single minute, every single moment of that contest. And for you personally, George, how do you maintain that level of concentration over the course of an innings or indeed over the course of a game? Do you have any strategies, any techniques, I suppose, that keep you almost laser-focused during a game of cricket? It is a little bit tricky at times. Like obviously, you can do long days, you're doing six or seven hours on your feet, and uh, sometimes it feels like catch is never going to come so it can be a little bit tricky sometimes uh we do a little bit of work with our psychologist at Lancashire called uh, Lee Richardson so he's uh, he's really good at that and it's um it's just about switching on and off so like obviously when the ball's ball's running in you have to be fully focused and then as soon as it's done he's sort of like just dissociate from it so uh go and have a chat with your slips talk to one of the bowlers, just something to take your mind off it for a little bit. And then as soon as ball is ready again, you sort of click and straight back into it. I find that's been really helpful. That's interesting to hear that. And for you, does that work then in terms of that dissociation and then obviously coming straight back into the game? Because for some people, that might be quite difficult. I I think it does for me. I I think for anyone, it'd be pretty hard to be completely focused for six hours straight not thinking about anything else so um yeah I think it's probably a skill you have to master but I do find it helps fair enough you'd be surprised though in terms of those concentration levels just think back to the final game of this season Warwickshire versus Hampshire trust me I switched on for all six of those hours <laughs> flipping heck you couldn't take your eyes off a single delivery in that game with with Liam Norwell but it can be difficult in particular when you're out there for a long time. And we're going to talk about your first-class debut in due course because you were out there for a very, very long time <laughs> in that Bob Willis Trophy game and your concentration levels were superb, as we shall discuss. But in terms of the the other aspects of keeping, I suppose, George, actually that might, might relate quite nicely to it. In terms of the concentration levels at times when the game's meandering and let's say the bowlers are struggling to get a breakthrough, what do you say is the toughest aspect of keeping? Is it constantly maintaining that concentration level? Is it the physical assertion, I suppose, because you are in the game every single ball? You've got to do a lot of squats. I imagine that must be tiring at times. And obviously, if you drop a catch, you do almost become the pantomime villain because you're expected to take a catch when you've got the gloves on. So what do you say is the toughest aspect for you as a wicketkeeper? Um, I probably would say it is that concentration side of it. I think the fitness side of it, the S&C teams we have, they work us so hard in the winter that by the time you come to the season, you, you're pretty much bulletproof and you're ready for, for county cricket. Um, but yeah, I'd say the concentration thing's probably the toughest because, um, like you said, 
if you miss a chance, it's it's a bit like in football, the goalkeeper, your mistakes get amplified. You've got gloves on, you're expected to catch it. So, yeah, it's a, that concentration level, I think, is probably the toughest. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty common answer, that, and it's completely understandable mm-hmm. as well because it is the only position in cricket where that is the case, I suppose, yeah. in comparison to other fielding positions. And in terms of drop catches, they are going to happen. Even the best keepers on the planet drop clangers, they drop sitters, they might drop a difficult chance as well, obviously. But, George, in terms of, of those moments, those difficult times, I suppose, when you do drop a catch and you feel as though that extra pressure is on your shoulders, how do you overcome that disappointment in the heat of battle? Um, I think probably in the heat of the moment, it's quite. you just have to put it to one side and I tend to like process it later. So I'll uh, look back at the end of the day. I'll talk, our keeping coach, Carl Cricken, he's really good to just bounce some ideas off. So um, in the moment, I'll just try my best to push it aside, focus on the next ball. And then maybe at the end of the day, end of the game, you go back and you look and you think, all right, what's gone wrong there? Why have I, why have I missed that? Was there anything I could have potentially done a bit better to get there? So I think that's that's a good way. I think if you're dwelling on it mid-game, you'll end up missing the next chance as well. Exactly. That's an important piece of advice for any young keeper. You can't dwell on it. I know that from experience in football because I used to do it all the time. When I used to let in a bad goal, and trust me, over the years, I don't like admitting it, there were a couple, even though we did have a good run at Henley Forest Football Club. There were a couple of goals which should have been saved. But it's that overthinking. And it's very easy, isn't it, at times... To yeah. almost say just put it out of your mind but there is a little bit of you it's human nature that just says you should have done better there and yeah. it does eat away at you and you've got to just put that to one side at times and let's say you do drop a catch George and it's after a game now it's not in the heat of battle you've had time to kind of reset refocus and the game's finished are you pretty harsh on yourself when it comes to looking back on those those highlights or or film reels uh yeah I think I am to be honest um, like I said, as a keeper, your mistakes get amplified, don't they? So I think if you're not harsh on yourself, you're almost almost accepting that it's okay, which it isn't really. I'm sure all the bowlers will say it isn't. So um, yeah, um, yeah, I am pretty tough on myself at times. So I I think that's why it's good to talk over it with the coach as well, so I can see sort of like another set of eyes on the situation, get another opinion, and see see if they have anything that I've not quite picked up on. Absolutely. It's important to get that second perspective, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. In particular when you're you're at this stage of your career, because this is just about the, the learning process. It's about mm-hmm. putting in those right steps to, to success, I suppose. And you mentioned that coaching setup. We'll get onto the conversation <laughs> with Lancashire very, very shortly, because that is obviously a massive part of your cricketing journey. But this is going to be an interesting question now, actually. And I don't, I don't ask it often enough, but it is an interesting one. If you, if you think back and you look back on all of the conversations you've had with coaches, is there one piece of advice which stands out above all others? Have you ever had one of those pertinent coaching sessions which, you know, it's left that lasting legacy? Because I, I have been doing some reflection here on the podcast, and I do think back to some past episodes and I think back to life lessons learned. Have you ever done that in terms of coaching? Does anything really stand out in that regard? Um, good question. I think in terms of actual coaching tips, nothing's particularly stood out. But I always, I think it was before my first county trial when I was eleven. There's a keeping coach who um he does a lot of the age group stuff at Lancashire called John Bartington, and some I always remember his his only advice for it was get a haircut. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and for some reason it's always stuck with me. So yeah. Um, I suppose it's just it makes you look the part, and if if you look the part, you'll feel the part. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's always stuck with me for some reason. So any big occasion, I've always made sure I've had a haircut. But um, in terms of actual coaching stuff, I think it's just nailing the basics, really. It sounds very cliche, but um, I think keeping stuff, it is a lot of repetition, doing the same stuff over and over, just catching as many balls as you can. It is. It is indeed, and I know it does sound cliche, but it is true, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's that repetition, it builds up that, as I said, though those skills and puts you on the, the right path to success as a keeper. 
Yeah. So there we go. We've got some philosophy. We've got some <laughs> handy life advice, I suppose, on the podcast tonight. I wasn't expecting the words get a haircut, though, <laughs> to come up on tonight's episode. Did he have a good haircut himself? Uh, no, not really, but he obviously didn't think I did either. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit harsh then. <laughs> Flipping heck. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all, but does that explain the, the fresh trim for the One Day Cup final then? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> There we go. I've learned something new on the podcast tonight. Then get a haircut. Advice I didn't think I'd ever be hearing on the podcast. I definitely need one. Mine <laughs> is absolutely shocking. Let's just say you're not going to see me on the, the front cover of Vogue or, or Men's Health anytime soon. But <laughs> George, I think we've alluded to a certain county club a lot in the podcast so far. We're around about 20 minutes in and we haven't really discussed your journey with the Red Rose of Lancashire to date. So in terms of that journey, where did that first begin? How did your journey at Lancashire County Cricket Club actually originate, per se? Um, well, like you said, I got picked up for the district through that indoor tournament. And then from there, I did okay at district and uh, got pulled forward to county trials. Uh, I think it was under 12s the first year I got in. So um, I think I missed out on the first year. And that that probably gives you a little bit of drive, even at such a young age, if it does give you that little bit of motivation to, to sort of keep working. And then, um, yeah, under 12s all the way through from there, really, into the academy. And then um, then on to the second team and the professional ranks. Well, it's a lovely journey. Uh, a very orthodox route yeah. in comparison to other cricketers that we've had on the podcast. Funnily enough, one of them who used to play for Lancashire was Taylor Cornell. He was our yeah. last guest. He had a very unorthodox route in comparison to that, but... No, so from county trials through the age group system, second 11 to first 11, and we shall discuss your debut in just a few minutes' time. But in terms of the age group system at Lancs, as I know from talking to a number of Lancashire cricketers, it's incredibly competitive. It is one of the best systems in the entire country. And in terms of those experiences, George, how would you say that Lancashire age group system actually helped you in terms of, you know, getting on the right paths to success in the county game just how integral how pivotal was that time in terms of your developments as a professional cricketer massively i think yeah uh, like you said it's a it's a very competitive county at, at youth age group lancashire and i think my year in particular we had a really strong group of lads so um yeah i think it's made a massive difference it just sort of like almost like competition from a really young age knowing that if you're not scoring runs for Lancashire age groups you're not going to be picked next year so it was that sort of I suppose it's almost like a professional environment in a non-professional environment yeah that's exactly what it sounds like and actually I suppose I have to follow that up by by asking if you ever felt the pressure of that because in comparison to other teams let's say a non-first class county you might have a little bit of a less competitive age group system whereas at Lancs it really is cutthroat there's so much talent up in the northwest of England it's ridiculous. At times, did you ever feel that pressure almost burden on your shoulders, per se? Uh, I wouldn't say I ever felt the pressure. I suppose at that age, it's sort of, you don't really think too much. You just think about the next game and going and enjoying it. Again, sounds very cliche, but um, yeah, you don't overthink it too much at that age, I think. so. Um, and again, like I said, we had a great group of lads in our year, so uh, just had a laugh with them and you got on really well with them. <laughs> Well, that's what we like to hear, and of course, that'll be music to the ears of the Lancashire faithful tuning in to tonight's episode of TCCP. And in terms of some of the names, I suppose, George, who did you share those experiences with? Can you tell us any cricketers that you uh, shared them with? My actual age group, there wasn't many who made it through the uh, ranks, really, which is, we had a really strong age group up until about under 16, 17s. And then uh, in the academy, there's lads like Jack Morley. George Bolson came in from Cheshire. Tom Hartley, obviously, he's a, he was an age group above me, but we all sort of played together in that academy side. Fair enough. Still some excellent names, though. Yeah. Still some excellent names. Jack Morley, seriously, watch out for him, Lanks fans. A very talented young spinner, to say the least. And I'm surprised, actually, we haven't mentioned Tom Hartley's name sooner in the podcast because <laughs> I know you and him get along very well. And Tom is an exceptional talent. In white ball cricket, genuinely... I think he could play for England. He's such a tricky bowler. He's even improving with the bats. He showed that against my county of Warwickshire 
up at Old Trafford this summer in the blast. I genuinely think he's got a tremendously bright future. And in terms of your relationship, your friendship with Tom George, what's that like? Because you've been together pretty much since the beginning, in a Christian yeah. sense. Well, yeah, me and Tom have gone right back. So um, we he lives about two miles down the road from me in Ormskirk. So, um, yeah, he we went to the same school, same high school. So all the way through playing in similar teams, growing up in school, played, both played at Ormskirk together. And then, uh, sort of, you get older in the county age groups, they merge it and playing with Tom for Lancashire, then in the academy. So, yeah, it's been a really nice journey together the whole way through. Certainly sounds like it. And in terms of, of Tom, just for those who, who don't know him as a person, what's he like? How would you describe Tom Hartley, George? Uh, funny, really, just without trying to be, he's funny. So, um, yeah, he puts on a, a fake Scouse accent as well, which he won't let me say, but yeah. It's a fake accent. It's fake accent, yeah. I can tell you that. Well, again, learning new things tonight. We'll have to get Tom <laughs> on the podcast, in fairness. Tom, if you are tuning in to tonight's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast, first and foremost, you've got a chance to defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, obviously, we'll have a nice chat about all things Lancashire cricket. You can get your own back on George <laughs> in due course. But no, seriously, he's a very good cricketer. Really is. And that's nice to hear, you know, when you've got someone like that who you've shared your, your cricketing journey with. I think that makes it tremendously special. And Obviously, for Ormskirk Cricket Club, they must be tremendously proud of you two now representing the Red Rose of Lancashire County Cricket Club. And in terms of that first 11 journey, George, we have to talk about that now. We've got to talk about your debut because it is one of the most proud moments, one of the most special occasions you'll ever have as a professional cricketer. So what can you remember about your first class debut for Lancashire County Cricket Club? Just how impressive, just how spectacular of a moment was that for you? Having been at the club since under twelve level, growing up in and around the northwest, what was that like stepping onto that field and representing Lancashire County Cricket Club for the very first time? Oh, really, really special. So, um, yeah, it was the last game of the of the COVID year, the Bob Willis Trophy. So, um, yeah, we were playing Derbyshire at Liverpool as well, which was nice. It's a ground I played a lot at in my in my youth, obviously being from around the Liverpool area. So uh, that was a really nice touch. And then, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a shame we couldn't get any spectators in, but the whole the whole four days were, were brilliant. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. And obviously it is a little bit different. Very unique circumstances with COVID crickets, the lack of crowd, almost a behind-closed-doors sense to it, I suppose. I'm not going to say if that, you know, took the shine off of it, because obviously it's your debut, it's tremendously special, but... Obviously, in an ideal world, I'm guessing you would have preferred it in front of friends and family, I'm guessing. Uh, obviously, in an ideal world, but I think it still doesn't take anything away from the how special the day was. Like You have to make your debut somewhere, don't you? So, um, yeah, no, I was just uh, over the moon to be given a chance. Ah, oh, good. That's what we like to hear, and obviously you should be tremendously proud as well. Stepping onto the field, representing Lancashire County Cricket Club. It's a great honour. It's a fantastic club, the third most successful club here in England and Wales, the Red Rose really are quite the gargantuan titan when it comes to, to county cricket. And in, in terms of that game, I suppose, George, what can you remember from an individual perspective? So in terms of your batting performances, your performances with the gloves as well were fantastic across both those innings. What can you remember from the game itself from an individual perspective? Um, I think we didn't get off to a great start. I think my first ball watching in county cricket, I think Keaton Jennings was out first ball, so it, it didn't take a great start really. But um there was a few nerves probably before lunch on that first day. And then um but as soon as weirdly as soon as you step onto the pitch it's just something you've done hundreds, thousands of times, just going out and playing cricket. So I think the nerves settled down pretty quick on the pitch. Uh I was a little bit disappointed with how I batted, but um yeah, that was a uh, Hopefully that will change soon. And then um, keeping-wise, I was really happy with, with the performance because it normally spins quite a lot at Liverpool. It's normally a little bit of a tricky pitch to keep on, so uh, I was really happy with how I kept. And as you should be, because I was reading the, the article that Paul Edwards did just after this game, and it's a wonderful article. And to be honest, I'll probably leave the link to it in the podcast description. Paul's a fantastic writer, lovely bloke. He's been very helpful with my cricket journalism journey as well. 
So I'll leave that in the podcast description. But as he rightfully pointed out, over the course of 184.1 overs on debut, you only conceded four buys. That's staggering for a keeper on debut. Like, in terms of that game, were you just locked in? Were you just laser focused for every single ball on that occasion? I probably was, yeah. And uh, I still have a gripe about those buys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did they come? Oh, I can't I can't remember. I just hate looking back. And I think as a keeper, again, it's a different mentality. I think you're uh, those four buys, they might look not like not much, but they do. You want to be you want to keep like a clean sheet almost, no, no drops, no buys. But uh, no, um, I was really, really proud of how I kept on those days. Well, to be honest, George, you certainly should be. And it wasn't just the, the lack of buys. 184.1 overs worth of keeping. That's staggering to concede just four buys on debut. But you also took two catches. Do you remember who those catches were off of? My first catch was Danny Lamb. I think it was, uh, it might have been Lewis Reese. I think, as well. So uh, on. Yeah, it was, uh, it was early on as well. It was a nice one just to set yourself down straight in. So I uh, didn't take too much thinking. And then the other one was Jack Morley. So that was a, a nice little uh, match-up, both on debut, both come through the age groups together, and uh, yeah, that was a really nice moment. Certainly was, and do you remember the, the wickets? Do you remember the Derbyshire we- player at the crease? Yeah. Harvey Hussain? Yeah. Spot on. Fair enough, good recall, that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play, it's almost as though you got the Crick Info scorecard in, in front of you, George. <laughs> That's very impressive, and as I said, you should be tremendously proud of that debut and obviously for Lanks from a from a team perspective as well great way to finish that campaign obviously disappointing not reaching the final mm-hmm. in 2020 but a dominant 178 run victory over Derbyshire and Egbeth always nice to get that win on debut isn't it yeah definitely certainly as we speak to a lot of cricketers here on the podcast where that isn't the case <laughs> and I'll never ever forget talking to Mark Adair about his because for Warwickshire he lost his first class debut he lost his list day debut and he lost his T20 debut as well. So that is always nice to get a win on debut, to say the least, because not everybody has that uh, that moment of satisfaction, unfortunately, at the end of the game. And talking of that satisfaction and the pride, I suppose, George, would you say that is your proudest moment in a Lancashire shirt so far, or has something else topped that in the years that follow? Because let's face it, in both 2021 and 2022, You've had some excellent individual performances. I think back to the One Day Cup this summer. You've had some great individual knocks. Would that debut be the pinnacle or something else maybe topped it in the years I, that have followed? I think the debut's right up there. But yeah, like you said, I think the uh, the One Day Cup campaign, the whole probably the whole campaign, I think is probably my proudest moment. I think just as a team, we had a really good spirit going on. Everyone was, yeah, everyone was playing brilliantly at the time in a, yeah, I'd probably say that's probably my, my proudest moment, that, that campaign. Fair enough. And I'm glad we can talk about it because there were quite a few highlights from you over the course of this summer. There really were, one of which I saw live in the One Day Cup final from the Trent <laughs> Bridge press box, which was staggering, that catch against Ollie Robinson. I'm guessing <laughs> that'll be up there in terms of highlights. That was a stunner. And for those who haven't watched it, watch it back on the highlights. Definitely worth it, but... There was that, then there was the 61 outs against North Ants at Blackpool. Shout out as well to certain Paige Corns. I have to mention Paige in the podcast whenever I mention Blackpool. That is her home ground. And then, of course, the 50 alongside Dane Villas in Hove in the semi-final was also staggering. I mean, if you could just choose one highlight from the summer, George, what would it be? Because, as you said, there were quite a few to choose from. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um Probably that 50 at Hove, I think, in the semi-final. I think, given the game situation, just there, uh, I think just supporting Dane, like, Dane was incredible that day. So I think just being there to support him and having, having the best seat in the house to watch him at the other end. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably the highlight, I reckon. I'm not surprised at all. And actually, we do have to get the inside story on that semi-final because that was wild wasn't it? That was absolutely, <laughs> it was bonkers. Obviously, I wasn't there at Hove. I was watching on the live stream, but Lanks got off to such a bad start. And <laughs> honestly, a lot of people looking at Sussex, they'd obviously topped our group. That's Warwickshire's group, for those who don't understand what I was <laughs> alluding to there, our group. But um, they'd topped the group, and they'd been absolutely sensational over the course of one-day cup. You had Ari Carvelas and Brad Curry just causing all sorts of issues early on. 
Lanks found themselves five wickets down very early on. And then yourself and Dane led a fantastic recovery effort. It was 132 runs, I think, for the sixth wicket, mm. which is staggering. What was that like in terms of coming out? You're in a major semi-final. You're under the cosh. You're out there with Dane Villas. You're pretty much the last hope for Lanks <laughs> at this point. Were you feeling the pressure at that at that moment? Um, again, I didn't. I can't remember feeling too much nervousness in that. I think obviously the first couple of balls there is a little bit, but then Dane's really good to bat with. Like the couple of times I've batted with him, I've loved it. I think we're quite similar. We both like like taking it back onto the balls. So um, yeah, I think Dane was really good person to have out there. Obviously, he's a cool head playing Test cricket and everything. He's a uh, He's been through a lot, so being able to bounce some ideas off him while you're out in the middle in a tough situation really helps. Good. I'm glad to hear that, and I've got a lot of time for Dane Villas. As you said, great player, has played international cricket for South Africa, been a stalwart now for Lancashire for a number of <laughs> years, and in that game he was just exceptional, wasn't he? 121 for the Red Rose as you ultimately went on to reach the final. And talking of the One Day Cup, another veteran player, I just have to ask about, because I've had him here on the podcast, I've got a lot of time for him, a certain Stephen Croft of Blackpool. What's it like sharing the, the middle with him at times? Again, brilliant. Like I, said, I listened to that podcast today, actually. I, I was listening to that one. And um, yeah, he's, he's the king of Blackpool, isn't he? So yeah, he was incredible in that, um, in that one day. And all season, to be fair, he's been really, really incredible. So um, he's a great great person to have around the dressing room he's one of the funniest lads in the squad still he's a he's a big practical joker so um yeah just having him around or one day cup again like you said you can bounce some ideas off him and then when you need him he steps up like he did at blackpool so many times he most certainly has and yeah he's just a legend mr lancashire mr blackpool <laughs> whatever you want to call him stephen croft Luckily, he's staying on for the 2023 season as well. So we're not saying goodbye to him anytime soon, Stephen. If it was up to me, five-year contract minimum. We want him in the county circuit for as long as possible. And I know that Lancashire fans will definitely echo that sentiment as well. And just one final thing, I suppose, about that one-day cup campaign, George, because obviously, tremendously, tremendously impressive from yourself. 190 runs at 38 in just seven innings. How would you describe and summarise your performances in that competition over the course of the summer of 2022? Um, yeah, like I said, I was really, really proud of the one-day cup. Like I said, it was uh, that final against Kent was a, a tough one to take, but uh, I think looking back, they probably were the better team on the day. But um, over the course of the of the campaign, I think I was just really proud of, of my personal performances and, and how the team did, I think. No player, uh, every player stepped up in at least one game to win the game. So it was a proper team effort, which I think hopefully next year we can take that and use it and go on further. Like I said, we've got a, we picked up a few second places this year. So yeah, hopefully I think we can trade one of them in next year for a, for a bit of silverware. Fingers crossed. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it instead of me having to mention it, but it has been the case, hasn't it, in recent years? A lot of second-place finishes. Yeah, the bridesmaids. Yep. <laughs> I was going to use that <laughs> that phrase. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to. But, yeah, it is, it is very interesting, actually. And I was, I was actually looking the other day, because, as I do, I'm the host of the County Cricket Podcast. You've got to learn some some niche stats over the years. But... Lancashire have finished second place in the county championship more than any other county on 21 occasions. That's quite staggering, actually. They've won it on nine occasions, including one being shared, but 21 times finishing second in the championship. I mean, obviously it's disappointing, but at the same time, what a competitive county. It is also a testament, pretty much, you know, up there in the mix, what, one every six tournaments. That's pretty impressive going from the Red Rose. But in terms of those experiences this year, Obviously, at times it would have been tremendously special and at other times tremendously difficult, George. But I suppose, in hindsight, what do you say the biggest lessons that you've learned from 2022, from both an individual and a team perspective? Because as difficult as it is now, let's say you do utilise those lessons learnt, you could easily win silverware in 2023. So what do you say has been the biggest takeaway for you from the 2022 season? 
Um, from a team perspective, I think it shows as a squad we are good enough to compete. Like a lot of people said, oh, it's disappointing to be so close, but it shows how consistent we've been as a squad in every format. So like I said I think we can take a lot of confidence from that that we're just one game away in some cases. A couple of things go our way, we might have had three trophies this year. So we're not that far away as a squad. And um, from an individual perspective, um, probably shows that you've got to work hard to get in the team next year. It's, it's that competitive. So, um, yeah, it's takeaway that you want to be part of that success. You want to be on the field winning the trophies. So, um, yeah, just like that determination, motivation from an individual perspective is really ramped up. You don't want to be the one who's running drinks or sitting on the sidelines for this for the successes that are hopefully not too far away. Well, well fingers crossed. Obviously, I'm going to be supporting Warwickshire <laughs> in 2023, but obviously if the Bears aren't in it, I would like to see Lanks do well. I've got a soft spot for Lanks as a county. I've always loved my experiences at Old Trafford. I think Egbeth is a beautiful outground as well, so I've got a lot of time for cricket in the northwest and they have been a tremendously, tremendously important county when you look at English cricket as well. Produced so many brilliant cricketers over the years and continue to do so up until the modern day. So I do think it's a matter of time with Lanks. Obviously, it's disappointing in the moment, but as you rightfully said, George, if you're in the mix and you are finishing second, you're doing something right. And at some point, that luck will, of course, reverse and the silverware will come back to Manchester at some point in the next few years. But in terms of the more difficult moments, I suppose now, we've spoken there a lot about the highlights, the good moments, I suppose, in a Lanx shirt. But obviously, cricket isn't that simple, is it? Yep. There's a lot of peaks and troughs. And when you're down in cricket, this sport, as magnificent as it is, has a real way of kicking you. It really does. It's a cruel, cruel game at times, is cricket. So in terms of the more difficult moments, what do you say has been your toughest moments from your time at Lancashire? Um, I think there was a game at the end of 2021 season against Nottingham at Trent Bridge and just uh, got off to a nightmare start, a few drop catches in the first session. And then, um, yeah, I'd say that's probably probably one of the toughest games I've had in cricket in total, never mind just Lancashire, just in my cricketing career. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a really tough one to take. And then, um, but yeah, I think it, like I said before, it, you have to like ride out the bad times and the good times. So, um, yeah, it gives you a bit more motivation to come back stronger. And like I said, it was right at the end of the, right at the end of the season. I broke my thumb the week after as well. So it wasn't a great week really. So, uh, but yeah, it definitely gave me a lot of motivation over the, uh, over the winter to come back stronger. Well, we'll, we'll pick that conversation up about motivation in just a minute or so, because I would like to understand your mindset when it comes to motivation in the game of cricket. But in terms of those difficult moments then, how do you personally deal with them? Because you do have to deal with them in the game of cricket. So as much as you are going to have these fantastic knocks and these great moments, you're going to take these stunning catches. You might get a 50 or 100 and you will embrace that glory. At the same time, you're also going to have some tremendously difficult moments. You're going to drop catches. You're going to lose matches by big margins. You're going to have these disappointments in major finals. How do you almost maintain that even keel, that level-headedness over the course of a cricketing summer? Uh, yeah, like you say, it can be it can be a little bit hard sometimes, but um, I think just talking to a few people, like obviously I've mentioned him a few times on the podcast, uh, Carl Crick, and he's a really good one to talk to about keeping. And then um, just talking to the family as well. Like I said, uh, my dad is from Wales, so he wasn't a massive cricketing background, but Obviously, he's grown up watching me play cricket, so he he knows a lot about it now. So he's a really good one to talk to. And again, that's important, isn't it, to to have a good family connection as well, yeah, to, to fall back on that foundation when times are difficult. And you mentioned motivation. It is an interesting thing because cricketers have different motivations in life. Family can be one of them. Mm. Obviously, individual glory, individual success is another thing. For some people, it might be making extra money. You never know. Everyone has different motivations in life. For you, George, what motivates you to get up in the morning, put in that work, put in the hard yards in the gym, put in the physio, and get out there every single day to chase that dream as a professional cricketer? What motivates you to undergo that journey? Um, I think it's just 
that excitement of trying to be the best player you can be. I heard um, Josh Butler on a, I think he was doing a um, interview. I can't remember who it was with now, but it was just his view in the morning was what if today's a great day, and I found that really, really good. And I've uh, I've taken that with me for probably this twenty twenty two season. Just what if today's a great day? I find that's a really good gets you in a really good mindset. So um, yeah, probably the motivation just for doing all the hard yards in the winter and uh, training, putting in the running at the track when it's minus two is just yeah. What if it earns those great days in the summer where you you might be able to contribute to a bit of success. Exactly, and you mentioned those cold temperatures. For those outside of the UK, you might not be aware of this, but we have had some Arctic temperatures <laughs> at the moment. We've been undergoing, what was it, like minus six the other day? Yeah. What was it like up in the northwest? It was minus six here in the yeah, Midlands. Minus eight or nine up here, so yeah. Minus not much nine? Snow, but just, yeah, ice cold. Flipping it, minus nine and snow. Goodness me. Yeah, I suppose on days like that, you do question it. Hmm, yeah. get out of bed. <laughs> is it worth going out on the track? Is it worth going to the gym? But I suppose in the end, it is. It is worth it. And in particular, when you're representing your home county, it does make it that more special. And George, before we move on to the listener questions in the future, just one final quite profound and pertinent question from me. And that does revolve around Lancashire County Cricket Club, because this is your boyhood county. It's where you've grown up. It's where you continue to live. It's who you represent on a day-to-day basis. What does Lancashire County Cricket Club mean to George Lavelle? Just how special is it to go onto that field and represent the Red Rose? Uh, everything. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, from my granddad taking me when I was 10 or 11 down to Eggbiff, down to Southport, watching Lancashire. You sort of know that's, all right, I want to be on that pitch one day. I want to be playing in front of these crowds for Lancashire. So, yeah, it's uh, really, really special. And then, yeah, to be able to, to actually do it is incredible. As it should be. As it should be. It's an, it's an honour. It's a privilege. It really is to, to represent any first-class county at a professional level, but in particular when it's your home county. I just think that's even more special. And as you said, those Lancashire fans, they travel up and down the country. They're very loyal, very vociferous. They are some of the best in the country. So, yeah, you are very lucky to to have that honour every single day, George. And fingers crossed you'll have that honour and that privilege for many, many more years to come. And in terms of those fans, that sets me up quite wonderfully, actually, <laughs> for our penultimate segment, which is, of course, the list of questions. So our first one for today comes from your friend James Banks. And James asked quite an interesting question here, George. Where should your good mate Josh Tomo apply his trade next season? I think he should stay at Ormskirk, definitely. I was going to say, what other answer would there be there? You're not going to say, oh, go on, move to Wigan or move to Bolton, are you? There we go then. Josh, stay at Ormskirk. That is the message from George on today's podcast. This next one is very interesting. I've got to say, this comes from my friend Kieran from Yorkshire. And he asks, if you know how a spirit level works, is there any context behind that, George? Um, yeah, there was, um, I think it was George Bell this year on the, um, on the player mic, he managed to, um, reveal my nickname, didn't he? So it was, um, it goes back to the academy days. We had a Chris Bembo out there on an academy trip in India with us. And, um, he ended up coming up, him and Simon Kerrigan came up with nicknames for all the academy players and, uh, they landed on spirit for me. And I spent two weeks trying to work out what they meant and they just wouldn't tell me. And um, yeah, it went from there really and ended up as Spizzer. And it stuck with that somehow. And now, um, yeah, that seems to have taken a, a world of its own. So uh, I'm a Spizzer to, to pretty much everyone now. <laughs> it is an interesting nickname, isn't it? Yeah. It's better yeah. than just like Georgie. Yeah, I don't think George can go to much else really, can it? So... Spiz is better than just George. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I can't actually think of one off the off the top of my head. I should have, I should have done that as part of the podcast prep. Should have come up with some new nicknames. But Spizzer, it is a very very unique nickname. And yeah, that was Simon Kerrigan who came up with that. Uh, uh, Simon Kerrigan, Chris Bember. Wow, there we go. Then we found out the origins of Spizzer. Great question, <laughs> Kieran. I'm actually glad that Kieran asked that 
Clearly, Lassie's journalistic capabilities <laughs> coming to the forefront. So, yeah, great question, Kieran. Well done, mate. And the final question, this is from Jack at Lightning Rose on Twitter. This is quite an interesting question. It's a serious question to, to wrap up the segment. But what was it like stepping up to the plates when Lanks needed you to take the gloves this season? What was that actually like, I suppose, in terms of that additional responsibility and the additional pressure? Um, I've loved it, to be honest. I've uh, really enjoyed it. Obviously, with Phil Salt, he's he's one of the best in the country, isn't he? So, um, yeah, all season I've been desperate to to get a go. So uh, when the chance the chance came, I was just delighted to have a go. Wanted to give him the best shot, as you should, as you should. And to be honest, George, I've said it all episode long, but you smashed it, mate. You really <laughs> did. And fingers crossed. As I said, many, many more appearances, many more opportunities to come in two thousand twenty three. And the years beyond, and again, that that sets me up quite nicely. It's been the it's been the common occurrence out tonight's <laughs> podcast, but it does seem to have had that nice flow tonight. Actually, it's been very easy for me as the host. But the final question, of course, as is the case with most of these podcasts, but George, looking ahead to the future, what are your aspirations, ambitions in the game of cricket from both an individual and a team perspective? What can we expect to see from you over the course of the next few years? Uh, from Individual, hopefully, try and break a bit more consistently into Langshire's first team. And from there, well, I think every professional cricketer's aspiration should be to play for the country. So, yeah, I think that's that's got to be the end goal, definitely, to play play for your country. And then from a team perspective, hopefully bring some silverware back for, for the Langshire fans. They've, uh, like you said, they've followed us so well over the last, well, forever. So, um, yeah, they, they do deserve some some rewards for that well George it goes without saying but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counts Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and Lancashire nothing but the very best of luck heading into the summer of 2023 and the years beyond as you said it is difficult at times getting to those major finals finishing second always being the bridesmaid never the bride but at the same time you're up there you're competing and I do think it's a matter of time before Lanks do lay, lay claim to some silverware and at least some capacity over the course of the next few years. So we'll just have to wait and see what the cricketing gods have in store for us. But that is essentially it, to be honest, for today's episode, George. Just before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Um, no, no, I've uh, nothing off the top of my head. So Not, not even the Instagram? Uh, well, George Lavelle on Instagram, pretty simple. <laughs> There we go. What about Twitter? Uh, George Lavelle 181 on Twitter, I think. After check that. Hopefully, it might. I've not given some random account, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just another George Lavelle who's like from the USA <laughs> or something. He's just got a load of, of extra followers. But yeah, listeners, of course, you know how it should work by now. But we will, of course, leave the, the podcast description full of those links. So if you want to go and follow George on Instagram and Twitter, please feel free to go and check those out. At your own discretion, they will be in the podcast description below, along with that article from Paul Edwards as well, which, as I said, was very interesting to read indeed. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Council Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>